Bruchim Haboyim B'Shem Hashem Berach Nuchem Yves Hashem Welcome to our weekly Wednesday Shear Happy Purim Afreilich and Purim Chosnil Nishmas Refraim Yom Tov Lipa Refraim Yom Tov Lipa and Shmoyakiv Ben Meshe and Jeanette Bass. Oops. Ibrahim Akhoyim. It's Purim. It's Purim, but... But it's Tera. <coughs> we can't not give a shi'a on Purim. So yes, Purim is tonight, Baruch Hashem. We're giving this year on the afternoon. During... Tainus Esther. So I must um, apologize. There's no lechai in the middle. That's Hashem tonight. Do another. Put him. And this Shabbos is Pashat Sav. Now, truth to be told, we tried to focus on the weekly Torah portion. And we also try to focus on the date. The date being now, therefore, literally Purim. Tonight, Wednesday night, is Purim. Actually, my son in New Zealand already is the middle of Purim. And my grandson in Geneva with his family, his parents and his family, are in the middle of reading Megillah as well. <coughs> Baruch Hashem, we're My grandson is reading Megillah for the family for the first time, and actually from his very own Megillah, as his parents, Baruch Hashem, bought him a Megillah. It's a schus, a big schus, a big merit, and I would almost be inclined to make a brach of Shech for such a great schus, Um, one day I guess I'll figure out why I'm not making one. Put him. What's it all about, Rabbi? The great question. The great phone calls. So, so many people. If I had to put it in a nutshell, Purim, what? How would I translate it? What would I say it really is? Purim, as I sit here all alone, waiting for all the preparations and the hustle and bustle to start, Purim is an interesting Yamtif, like every Yamtif, of course. But Purim has a uniqueness to it. Whereas we celebrate, we are joyous, we are happy. We need to be so happy that we need to achieve a level of joy of Adelayada. So we don't know the difference between Arur Haman and Baruch Malachai. Phenomenon. We don't know the difference between cursing of Haman and blessing of Malachai. An extreme, very extreme. How then could we possibly, first of all, achieve such a thing? And secondly, how could it be 
requirement for a Jew to get to such a level they should not know the difference between the other, one and the other. We live on emotion. Every person lives on emotions. We have stronger emotions. We have lighter emotions. We have weaker emotions. There's joy. Then there's the opposite. There's pain and there's pleasure. Pain and pleasure obviously don't fall into the world of emotion. At least not if they're physical. But in the world of emotions, one needs to reflect. One needs to think into what are my actual emotions? Where are they stemming from? How do I control them or do I even need to control them? This past Shabbos was Pasha Zachar. We remembered what Amalek had done to us. I told somebody yesterday in 2019 in my opinion as good as 1934 the anti-semitism is rampant the anti-semitism is, is just open and nobody cares and it's not just anti at its own but even worse so it's anti-Semitism where everybody is on board. And you have organizations of anti-Semitism. We have a United Nations full of them and anti-Semites. We're surrounded in our holy land of Israel and even within with anti-Semites. Our emotion for that is obviously hatred. How do you expect me to embrace? How do you expect me to justify how do you expect me to coexist with this person that despises me at such a level? With this person that has such animosity to me? Obviously, it's not something that we can possibly, plausibly, feasibly actually do. And our emotions come to play. Do we walk around moping, depressed, think of the Holocaust survivors, those that are still alive, so few and far between. Think of what they're going through when they see a swat sticker being painted on a matzeva, on a tombstone of a Jew. Or in the hallway of a, a Jewish home. Or in the har- cars of Jewish people. Or of course, on the entranceway of a shul, a synagogue. Think of the flashbacks that they are seeing. Think of the sounds they are hearing of Kristallnacht. 
when windows were busted, shattered, where they've been of shuls and of businesses. Think of what kind of bundle of emotions they are in. Do we avenge their feelings? Do we stand up and fight back? There were the different factions. As we know the different factions, oh boy. The different factions that they had in Germany and the different factions that they had by the splitting of the Red Sea. By the splitting of the Red Sea, there were Jews that said, let's fight. And there were Jews that said, let's go back. We can't beat them. They're back again, our oppressors. Let's just bow our heads again and return. Okay, I hope the uh, recording quality now improves on the uh, video. There were Jews that said, let's pray. Let's just cry out to God. The answer of God at the time, with the splitting of the before, prior to the splitting of the Red Sea, Daber al-Bnei Yisrael speak to the Yidden, tell them, forge ahead. Do not become complacent. Do not become depressed and fall into a state of despair. Forge ahead. This coincides actually with our portion of the Torah this week as well. It says, A constant flame needed to burn on the altar, on the outside altar, and one may not extinguish this. This flame was fed by with wood, and even Kohanim, priests that were not really fit for other services in the temple, were allowed to do this. It was extremely important that this flame was a constant flame. This is a lesson actually to each and every one of us today. Each Jew has within themselves a flame. And they need to see to it to persevere, to forge ahead, and to constantly let that flame burn. Not allow outside elements, not allow outside sources to put it down, to attempt to extinguish or to diminish what we are doing and how we are serving God. The Mazich Magid, the holy Mazich Magid said, we need to know where to put the proper punctuation in this Pasuk. And he reads it as follows, Eish tomid tukad The Mizbeach is compared to the heart of a person. If this flame is constantly burning within the heart of the person, loy, the word loy is negative. Negativity, sikhbe, will be extinguished. As long as we keep that fervor and that flame within us, that pleasure to do a mitzvah, that joy to do a mitzvah, not to look back and say, ah, it's too much for me. It's too hard for me. I'll do something else. I'll do it later. (laughs) 
Now I have to see if I can find it. <laughs> Someone had put a an acronym for Amalek. Taking the letters of the word Amalek and telling us whoops, how Amalek treats us. I'm afraid I don't have it. But each one of the words represents something telling us, push it off. Don't do it today. Do it tomorrow. Work on it another time. It's too hard. This is the Amalek that we are still battling today. And the descendant of Amalek, the Haman of the story of Megillus Esther. But the story, as it may be, of Megillus Esther is not a simple story. What we read in the Megillus Esther, the Farshim tell us, Hamelech represents the Almighty God Himself. And the word Achashverish is divided up, breaks up. Achshavarish. Telling us again how God, who always is in perpetual status in the world, past, present, future. The story itself, we will not tell you, is a myth, it's an actual happening. There is the situation that Haman brings about. And there is most importantly the Mordechai of the generation. The miracle that takes place through Esther, which the word refers Esther, the name Esther means comes from the word hidden in Hebrew. And she was very great Sanua. But we know the story. And we know how Akashverish punishes Vashti which we'll soon get to and we know how Haman rises to power but with Haman's rise to power many different decrees were put into place to honor Haman Needless to say, he was one of the more important ministers in the palace. Hence, was rewarded with great honor. Still with great honor. Honor. Haamana Rasha. And we read in the Pasuk, Chapter 3, verse 2 in the Megillus Esther. Perigimel Posik Beis. Bechol Avdea Melech Hashabishara Melech. All the servants of the king that were the gates of the king, which means the palace, within the realm of the palace. Koyrim Umishtachavim Lehomon. They bowed, they prostrated themselves before Haman. Why? For each and every one of these people, each and every one of these servants, individually, was commanded by the king to do so. Who was also a minister, nor did he bow, nor did he prostrate himself. This concept that Marachai did, not bowing, not giving any kind of credence, is accounted for as one of the main miracles of Purim. 
Rashi explains when it comes to writing the Megillah but later in chapter te- in chapter 9 verse 29 one of the pratim of this full impact of the miracle what was written about that was the main strength, main stay of the miracles was Marachai. That what did Marachai see? That he refused to bow down to Haman. And besides which, big deal. He didn't bow down. This is a mainstay miracle of the miracle of Purim? Seriously. If you keep me score at home, the Yamaran Sanhedrin, Samach Aleph Ahmed Bez, 61, side 2. In the Teisvis, Divera Maschal Rova. He writes, even if this was not a concept of Avedah Zarah, it was not idol worship. Let us say that Homon did not have a cross on his chest or any kind of idol walking with him. And therefore bowing down to Homon was not involved in any idol worship. He didn't consider himself a deity. Still in all, the fact that Mordechai did not bow down to him was a Kiddush Hashem. Was sanctification to God's name. And since this action of was a concept of Kiddush Hashem, it's simple and understood that the nature of Mordechai, known as Ish Yehudi, his nature was not to bow to the Haman. And this is regular behavior. Why then does the Megillah attribute this to being takefi shilnes? the mainstay of the miracle. Perhaps, perhaps we can explain it as follows. Marachai knew very, very well that Haman was one of the top ministers. It was also not, a, he was not blind to the fact that Kol Avdeh Melech Kerem Haman. All the servants were bowing to Haman. So after the fact that Marachai was not prepared to bow down to Haman, stay away from where he's going to walk. What were you doing in the gateways of the king of the palace if you knew you're not going to bow down to Haman and here comes Haman? Stay away from there. Don't be near him. And don't make an announcement. I'm not bowing down to this guy. Fact was, Marachai, as we said before, was also a minister. And he did have to be in the gateways of the, the palace. He could have kept more or less the schedule of when the wicked Haman was going to show up and avoid it. Avoid it. Stay away from there. Don't cross paths with him. A wonderful attitude for a Jew to take against an anti-Semite. Close your eyes. He won't see you. Cross the street. 
ignore the fact when he spits on the floor and says, Schweinhund. Amazing. What are you doing, Mordechai? You're causing anti-Semitism. You're rousing up. You're a rabble-rouser. You're, you're antagonizing. What's going on over here? But we see, Mordechai did not take that approach. Mordechai did not have that attitude whatsoever. <laughs> in English we say, Mordechai was in his face. And he made sure that Haman knew he was there, and he is not standing up. Not only not standing up, later it says, like, He didn't stand up for him, he didn't make any, he didn't give him any credence. He left him zero credibility. Never mind, he didn't honor how great he was. He told him, you're a nothing. Not he bowed down to him, not he prostrated himself before him. He didn't even stand up or move. He didn't acknowledge his existence. You're a fly on the wall. And this is what Rashi writes. The fact that Mordechai saw not to bow down, prostate, this is the mainstay of the miracle. Because according to normal Al-Piseichel, you say it. Marachai should have just avoided the stupid anti-Semite. The fact that he stood there, in front of him, face to face, this is a miracle. And around this, involves the miracle of the salvation of the Jews. The truth is, chronologically speaking, historically speaking, we knew that Barakai was brilliant. Barakai was a really special holy Jew. Barakai was up for vice king, second in command to the king, Mishneh Lamelech. After it was revealed to everybody, all of, that everybody bowed down to Haman, and Marachai did not bow down, guess what? Achashverish did not say, What? That Jew! How dare him not bow? Achashverish, as dumb as he was, said, wow. Wow, he's got guts. He's a man of principle. And therefore, he looked at this and he said, wow, I really need this guy to be my second in command. From there we learn how a Jew needs to behave with our surrounding nations and with our anti-Semitic brethren. You have the Jews this is a formal Torah class I can't use the language I would like to use for this. You have the Jews that see to it to get their faces and all the pictures and all the photo shoots with all the wonderful, glorious politicians gets them. It gets them. It, it, you know, it ranks. I rank now. Um, photo shoots going to take place on Shabbos. Going to see on Shabbos um, how it's going to work out. Actually, no, it wasn't Shabbos, it was Yom Tiv. 
and he had to go there for Yom Tov to be in the area so he can get the picture. So he could be in this special picture. But it's a second-day Yom Tov, so it's really not something that's so, so... I, you know, in Israel, they don't really keep the second days, and I, and I was almost in Israel once in my life. So therefore, mister, get a hold of yourself. Be realistic. Where are you going? But they push. And they push forward, and they try to get themselves wherever they can. And between you, me, and the lamppost, when the non-Jew sees the Jew, chasing him, he runs faster. He knows this guy is worthless. Today he's chasing me because he figures he'll get this and this out of me. Tomorrow he'll turn around and chase somebody else. Excuse him. They'll find another politician. They'll find somebody else that he can look at. And therefore the guy himself looks at the falseness of the Jew and says, you don't really mean me, mister. And just like he's deceiving from within, the same way the non-Jew will deceive the Jew. And he's not reliable. And he'll look to go according to majority. If a Jew though, wants, a non-Jew should respect him, This is complete, total, opposite way of devotion. One needs to be totally entrenched in Teda and Mitzvahs. When Achashvedesh sees this, and when he understands that Mordechai is Yehudi, is a Yid, and stands for what he believes, Every little iota then he says, I can trust this person with everything. And so is a Jew amongst non Jews. Going in a tear away is for the benefit of the Jew. Not only in the world to come, but in this world as well. Because when a Jew stands up for his rights, and stands up for his principles, and believes in what he is saying, he will accomplish, and he will receive and achieve what he looks to achieve. He will gain respect automatically. He would not have to bribe his way through it He doesn't have to tell the politician how good looking he is. And he doesn't have to bring him a gift of something non-kosher. This therefore, in my opinion, is the message and the lesson that we are getting from Purim. From the happening, the story of Purim, from the Marachaya Yehudi, who is the mainstay miracle of Purim, and the Esther Hamalka, etc. We need to know, we need to stand our ground, we need to be proud that we are hidden. We don't compromise our teda, our mitzvahs, because we're going to impress Chas V'Sholom, Rachman Al-Atzlan, Agoy.
This is the lesson we learn from Purim. Let's visit a little more the Megillah. Akashveresh throws a feast. <laughs> Did he know how to throw a party? Unfortunately, there were many things used at this party to belittle the Jews. But still in all, the goal was make sure everyone has a good time. Everyone across the board. Party time USA. Party time Persia. He gets inebriated and requests the presence of his wife, his queen Vashti. A miracle occurs and she could not appear and she said she did not like the way she looked, whatever the case was. And she sends the message, tell your master I will not come. So what happens? Vashti's made a head shorter. Put to death. Seriously? That deserves a death penalty? Well, let us say just that this was made at the Malchus. She went against royalty. Made at the Malchus needs to be put to death. The king calls her. She doesn't come. Heh. the Malchus. Death penalty. Let us remember, of course, that Achashverish himself was not a big... Excuse me. Was not a big Balmiuchus. He didn't have any royalty in his blood. His whole yichus was he married Vashti. She was the chain of royalty. So, to say that she revolted against royalty, it's a stretch. It's a stretch. But she was put to death for this. But if we read the actual Megillah, we get a new message here. For all those that spent all their lives thinking that Vashti was put to death because she denied, she went against the wishes of the king. Newsflash. There's a lot of problems with that. First of all, it says that when Vashti refused to come, he got angry. Rashi explains, what was this Yiktsev? Because she humiliated him. She told him, you tell that who would have been a horse stables manager, and is only a king because of me, I will not come. So the fact that she refused to come didn't really rock his boat. Didn't rock his boat. What rocked his boat mm-hmm. 
was a total different thing. The embarrassment. The wording that she used. A second issue, the King Akashvedesh had enough enough of a question to know what to do with Vashti now. So much so is he in question what to do, the Megillah tells us, he brought it up to Chachamim Yedeitim. He brought it up to a committee, to a bunch of brilliant geniuses. If Vashti was made at the Malchus, if she was a revolutionary against the king, she would have rightfully received the death penalty. But not only received it, it would have been immediately passed on her. And she would have been told, yes, you are married by Malchus, you need to be put to death. But here he turns to his Chachamim Yelitim. If it was such an open shot case, why have to confer with people? So therefore we see that's obviously not the case. And thirdly, Memuchan stands up and says, Death penalty! Why? Give me a reason. Don't just come up and say, kill the queen. He said, I have a reason. An amazing reason. She's going to cause a revolution in our country. Every wife will embarrass their husbands. <laughs> Guess what? She did a wonderful job. Thousands of years later, it's still happening. Leave Jackie Mason out of the share. Anyway, this was the reason. The reason for her death was because she opened a Pandora's box. And all women are going to start talking like this back to their husbands. The commentaries on the Megillah explain this several ways. But the Rashi's wording is not fully understood. Rashi explains the simplest way of explaining something. Yet here he says nothing. Maybe we can look at a little later on a different posuk in the Megillah, not later, earlier, V'hashtiyo chados ein eneis, k'chein yisad ha-melech, al kol rav beisoyin, la'aseis k'retsoyin ish v'ish. It was in plenty. Everything was there. Nothing lacked by this party. For this is what the king asked for. This is what he implemented. He wanted the best for everyone and whatever they ask for, give them. Later that was only for the drinks. Don't force anybody to drink. Rashi holds what's Ananis. This was the main fundamental part of this meal, of this feast. Don't force anyone to do anything. Whatever anybody wants to do, let them do. Let them enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. It's all part I wanted. Wanted everyone to have a good time.
force anybody anything. And this we see the word Yisad. He established. It doesn't say Tikkun or Gozar. It doesn't say he set it up this way or he forced anyone, he decreed it. Yisad. He put down a fundamental foundation. This was the foundation of this meal. Have fun. Enjoy. Do what you want. And therefore, Rashi says, this was only given to the Saramashkin, to the bartenders. Sorry, not only to the bartenders, but to everyone in the entire, every steward and maitre d' and waiter and waitress. Everyone should have fun. Bakers and, and chefs alike knew that they had to give the guests the most enjoyable, unlimited, unconditional, sumptuous meal and good time. Since the whole idea of this meal was to keep everybody happy, Sachashvedir said, okay. Fashti doesn't want to come. Her prerogative, part of the party, that's what she makes her happy, that's what she's going to enjoy. Okay, I'm in. Whatever anyone wants to do. Therefore, when Vashti refuses to come, it's not a decree, not a death decree for that. Because everyone was allowed to do whatever they wanted. What was the ultimate bottom line? What was the round table discussion about Vashti? Why did the king call in his Chachomim? To know Kados Malasis Vamalka. It was not a sin. She did nothing wrong. But hearing what we just heard, we can say that the work of Vashti was actually made at Vamalkas. For several reasons. First of all, we can say that the bringing of Vashti before the, before the servant, before all the uh, ministers, was not part of the meal. And it was not her obligation, Ainenes. It was also not her prerogative. It did not fall under the category of Kitsain Ish Secondly, by this meal, they didn't do anything to the participants, forcing anyone drinking too much wine, etc. It was when the king himself stood up and commanded clearly something. This is a whole different level, a whole different ballgame. Thirdly, the idea of this feast was to have the people enjoy. The, the nation, the people that are found here. The Om does not include the Malka, the queen. And therefore, Achashverosh turns to his advisors. The Chachomim Yedayitim. Is there a concept here of Meirid B'Malchus? And they said also, no. They needed another reason. 
that what she did was wrong. And therefore they apply the reason that all the women are going to revolt against their husbands. Please, I ask you, listener, do not take this literal to that extent that a woman who doesn't listen to her husband needs to be put to death, Chas Shalom. It doesn't work that way. Not at all, actually. It works, as we said in the first part, for a husband to earn respect. As a Jew needs to earn respect by the world, one needs to live up to who they have to be. Many different sacrifices are brought down in Pasha Tzav. I need to wind down this year because I can't drink, I'm fasting. I'm getting a little parched. Imal Teida Yakriven, the Karbin Teida was brought. Rashi explains that the Karbin Teida was brought for four different things. Four people that need to praise. Someone who went through the water, here they are. Someone who went through the deserts. Someone who's imprisoned and imprisoned. And a sick person that was healed. These are the four. The acronym is Chaim. Chayla, Yam, Yisurim. A mishpat. A midbar. Excuse me. Chayle yam yisurim a midbar. Again, the words are yerdei hayam halchei midbaries chavushei beis yisurim. All public. All plural. But then chayle shenis an ill person that gets healed. Singular. Why? Why change? When a person is inflicted, for any given reason, any particular issue, mm-hmm. if we could say, I went through this as well, they have over there. It's easier for him to understand what it's all about. What it is, this affliction. So when a person says, my upbringing was not right, my siblings don't treat me right, my parents don't behave the way they should, don't act the way they should, they get frivolous, they do things and say things that are not right. And therefore I grew up in a circumstance which is not the way it should be. And when you try to help me with this, what do you really know? You never experienced this. So whether you're the shepherd, whether you're the the rabbi, whether you're the psychologist, psychiatrist, therapist, you never had this. You can't tell me. Here we're talking about a mitzvah that Moshe Rabbeinu related to the Deir Midbar, to the generation of the desert. When he expresses therefore these four situations for which to bring a carbon toida, a sacrifice of thanks, first he starts to mention what they just went through, what these people had just been subjected to. And then he adds other things as well. So now we can see it clearly. The first things he took are plural. Why? Because this related to them. They had exactly this. All the people in the desert were Yerdehayam, they went through the sea. They crossed the Red Sea. They were Helchemit buddies. They went through the deserts. They were even imprisoned in the time 
when they waited for Moshe to come down the 40 days until Moshe came down from the mountain this was like they were imprisoned in this desert but a chayla a sick person that needs to be healed it's a singular issue a singular content and therefore it's not something when he's relating it to the Jews that he says in plural but rather says it in singular Rashi More so, the Pasuk needs to warn this and bring this about when we, one is losing money. This is what it's all about, the way we serve God. Chesar and Kis implies the mitzvah of tzedakah. This mitzvah needs to be done expediently quickly charity explained in Tanya that the reason for this that the mitzvah tzedakah is accordance to all mitzvahs of the Torah and the greatness even more when we give money a person could have bought themselves a whole life with this money when he gives his money to charity, he's giving his actual whole life to God. Therefore, the mitzvah of tzedakah is not tied with chay and nefesh, adam, but rather to the, not to the actual life essence of the person, but to the world above it. Because his money is given to charity, is beyond, it's a separate thing from his own body. It's an outside entity. Therefore he finds by giving tzedakah a maila. It elevates the person. It elevates the nefesh achiyunis to the evishter. The physical soul. In order to purify this, to elevate this in a better way, we need a special strength. And this is what we understand from tzedakah, that it's greater, and it elevates the actual soul, because it goes from the outside, and it goes to the utter single, to the deepest depths of the soul. And this, therefore, a person needs to be mezarez, needs to do quickly. When does a person need to have zeros miyuchad, giving with great strength more than anything else, First of all, the Mokayim, one has to a plate to do with a place, part in the world that's outside of the person himself. person himself actually has to give money out of his own pocket to generalize his nefesh achiyunis, and therefore he lacks within himself something that he could have bought on his own for something in his own own use and this is therefore tzedakah as we say it given till it hurts this is what it refers to this is what it means may we give the mitzvahs of Purim Shlachmonis Matanas Levyanim so this Purim Make sure you hear the Megillah tonight, tomorrow, that you give with an open hand. Anyone who sticks out their hand, give them. May be a freilich and put him, a gezunt to put him, and may this put him dance us to the put him of Asad Lovay, a yamte which will never be nullified even when Mashiach comes. And may we merit to see that this Purim in Yerushalayim, the Shabbos, Afreilach Purim.